Italian driver. What's behind me is not important. Studying, studying, studying. Here comes Cooper out of that outside move again. Cooper, outside. Can he pull the move? Matt Cooper with a brilliant move on the outside. Never seen that done through Mosses. And look at the run that Matt Cooper has. Hey, 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 what can I do? Back for Rumble Stripper Radio, episode number 10, into the double digits. Welcome, my peeps, and how are you? I am your host, as always, the Duke, and it is, I am happy, as as uh, as the old Cajun chef uh, Justin Wilson used to say, I'm happy for you to see me. So uh, anyways, good to be back on the mic. And uh apologize, I promised you a second show last week, unfortunately. Well, fortunately for me, and maybe unfortunately for you, I got a call and uh, got to do some TV work uh, through TNT, um, working for the uh, NBA playoffs for the Detroit Pistons, and hey, it was uh, good money, so um, can't complain about that. So, a uh, busy weekend with uh, World Superbikes, a lot of news going on, and uh, got some interviews in the pipeline I'm working on. And some stuff hasn't come quite together yet, but we're still working on it. So I'm going to try and throw out a quick show to get one out. Um, I got a ton of crap I got to get done today here as well, um, outside of Rumble Strip Radio business. And um, it's a honeydew business. But um, we're going to go and talk about uh, primarily what was a, uh, a pretty good race at Monza this weekend for the World Superbikes. Um, haven't seen the World Supersport yet, race yet. Um, got to subscribe up to that World Superbike TV. And everyone says it's pretty good, so I'm going to take their word for it. But uh, I got to get that done yet. So my fault for that. And um, I got I to gotta hit the siren on myself. So if you have a siren, blow it now. That's right, in the effort to uh, to try and get the show out uh, today at a reasonable time. Um, the show prep is, um, well, almost none. I actually did do a little show prep, but uh, I'm operating without notes, flying by the seat of my pants, and uh, who knows what's going to happen and how this is going to come out, but uh, as always, it'll be fun, right? What's, uh, what would be like? I mean, you know, if we were prepared all the way and, and everything, then we'd sound like a network radio show, right? I mean, who wants that? Well, me, but that's enough. <laughs> uh topic for another discussion but let's uh let's talk world superbike monza and and we'll stick primarily to world superbike because as i said uh haven't really had a chance to take too much of a look at uh at the world super sport stuff other than to say i, I don't believe charpentier won which was you know there's a shocker that's that literally is a shocker um the way that he's been uh kicking everyone's ass this year um Sorry, just pulling up. The, I've got World Superbike up, looking at all the, um, all the stuff. But uh, yeah, he came in third behind uh, Tiberio and Harm. So there you go. That's a very different podium for World uh, Supersport. But anyways, we'll get to those guys in a bit. But uh, World Superbike 
race number one, absolutely a barn burner. Um, you know, that is, that's what we come to see. Uh, was it as good as the uh, Turkish MotoGP race? Well, no, but like I said last time, that might be a top five race ever for that. So, um, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get on that. So, But um, Bayless looked, you know, of Bayless of old. I mean, he looks to be locked in, and I'm not going to say run away with the championship, but, oh, boy, is he looking good, you know. So, and then Courser pretty much has given it everything that he's got um, and it's just not enough. Now, whether that's um, horsepower-wise, they seem to be pretty close, but the Ducatis are really um, getting a better drive off the corners, and you saw that in a couple spots where Bayless, um, mid and late corner, was really getting the better drive, and that and that was the difference. So it could be how the uh, how the traction the difference in the traction controls uh, are working between the two bikes it also has a lot to do with how the power is delivered too um uh, you know in a four cylinder bike you've got uh, a cylinder firing literally every uh, 90 degrees of wheel revolution um, in the Ducati, it's 180, so you got less stress, and therefore the traction control theoretically has to do less than the Ducati and is able to put down power harder than um, than than the Suzuki. Now, we're going to spend some time talking about traction control today. Um, I've been talking to a few people out there. One in particular, who I'll um, I'll uh, I'll leave uh, nameless to uh, to protect him from. Uh, you know, from, from any repercussions, he's not, uh, spouting anything definite, but he's, the information is enough that it could always be traced back. And we're not going to do that because we like to protect the sources because we like getting the juice, you know? So, um, and it's always good when you get people on this side of the, uh, of the water giving stuff to you too, because they're no noticeably tight lipped on a lot of stuff. So, but, um, How do we put the, the interviews after race? Uh, well, okay. First off, let's talk about how things wrapped up for the for the race, and uh, and we'll go there. Pretty much. Um, oops, hold on. Wrong uh, wrong button. I hit there. There we go. Results. I pulled up the points instead of the results. So there you are. Here we go. Race one. Look, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched the race, well, then you know what to do. But, um, you know, no spoilers, no whatever. I'm not going to tell you how far to jump ahead. It is what it is. If you haven't cheated and looked by now, you're what you're whatever. All right. So here we go. Uh, race one was Bayless. Uh, Barros, the return of Barros in uh, in second. And he had, you know, if this guy could learn to launch off the starting line, he'd be dangerous. Uh, Troy Corsa, the third. Hago had a had a great ride in in fourth. I mean that that three way battle between Barros Corser and Hago was just just killer. Um, it was it was great. It's that's what you want to see when you come to watch racing. Um, Pitt Mugridge, which was good to see. Mugridge looked very very competitive this weekend, uh, at least at the beginning of the race, and then faded off later. But Mugridge had a pretty good weekend. Laconi showed signs of being alive here and there. Uh, Robbie Rolfo. In eighth, Lanzi, uh, I would say a disappointing ninth. Uh, Nakatomi in tenth, Walker in eleventh, Jimbear in twelfth, Foray in thirteenth. Um, 
Alfonsi in 14th, Clemente 15th, Brignolia 16th, uh, Mori 17th, Battiini 18th, Toslin 19th. Um, after a pretty nasty crash on on the what next to last lap, lap six. Well, yeah, on lap 17, uh, 16 completed laps. Steve Martin and Craig Jones on the uh, Foggy Bikes 2021st. Uh, let's see, Kagiyama, the man who has zero luck, uh, Borciani, and then uh, a lot of non-finishers, and, and most of these guys were uh, were caught up in that tangle and in, in, in the first corner, uh, being uh, Abe, uh, Inutsu, Nanelli, Neukirker, Zaus, Fabrizio, and Fonzi Nieto. So uh, race one. You know, it was uh, Bayless controlled that race for the most part, and then uh, mostly a battle between uh, Corser and Haga, and then Barros coming up. And and Barros, I mean, you know, on the front row, falls back to, what did they say, about 18th to 20th position by the end of lap one, and just bang, 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 knocking out some laps. Um, I believe that he was knocking out laps as fast or faster than Troy Bayless at points in time during that race, which is, you know, if if he can get off the line, he's going to be up there challenging for the lead. Now, here's the thing. Number one, Barros is down 7, 8K um, in, in, you know, velocity, eight, you know, 7 to 10 kilometers an hour on top speed compared to everyone else. I think Bayless was like 310, 311, and Barros was like 303, 304, I think, was the top speed um, for him. Uh, and Courser was like three nine, three ten, something like that as well. But he's running lap times. Here's the other thing: not only does he have, um, is he down on power, but Barros has no traction control on his bike either. He's he's literally doing it with his wrist, okay? Um, and that's a problem later in the race because he's going to be beating the tires harder than everybody else, and um, and so he he won't have it the last two or three laps where. Some of the others might. Now, the story I hear, here's one of those stories um, from different sources, is that Barros desperately wants the traction control system from the Honda MotoGP bikes. Honda doesn't want to give it away or even sell it away. Um, rumor has it that the traction control system cost for uh, for the Honda anyways that that if that if Claffy were to buy that system from Honda or Honda were to be able to sell them that would basically they'd have to double their budget okay uh, something crazy like that they're i mean the the budget that these guys are running with that and and being that competitive with is nothing okay there are teams there are support teams in the United States running like 600 Supersport that spend more money than what these guys are it's um I mean, we're not talking like seven figures. We're talking, you know, mid six figure type of stuff. But Honda being Honda, they don't want to let it go because Calafi's not the official team. They're afraid it's going to leak out. Who knows? Um, unclear whether even Tenkata's got uh, got some of the good stuff. So I'm sure they have some level of traction control, but whether they have the full on MotoGP level where, um, you know, not only can you adjust it in a particular gear. Um, but for particular speeds, particular slippages and everything like that. So, you know, I always remember when Nicky Hayden first went to MotoGP and they, and, and he's talking about, he needed more, more engine braking, uh, going into a corner and they're like, okay, how much more would you like 
at what gears and at what RPM. That's the level at MotoGP three years ago um, that the, that they have. So you know that's filtered down into, at least at some level, into World Superbike. So, um, so we'll we'll talk more about the traction control. But but Barros absolutely had a tremendous race in uh, in race one. Now, flipping over into race two. Um, that's pulling up for a while. Um, Bayless had more of a fight in this one as Corsa was able to stick, stick tight, but, uh, was about halfway through, um, Bayless let Corsa go, go by, gets back by him, tries to get, tries to gap him, doesn't quite work, slows the pace up over a second a lap, close, Corsa, you know, climbs up and, and basically screwed up his rhythm. Then, then Bayless, you know, screwed it on again and, and was gone. And and ran out by what about two and a half seconds for for the win, a um, little over two seconds, two point one seconds. So, and then uh, Corsair and Haga had a had a great fight in there, and then Barros joining it uh, uh, at the end there as well. And and once again, Barros not not getting off the line and and really had to fight it hard um, to try and get up there, you know, making up ten twelve spots. It's you making you making your you making yourself work harder than you have to. Um, Tozlin recovered race two to finish fifth, so he's showing signs of being alive again. Uh, Andrew Pitt in sixth, Muggers in seventh. Again, Muggers uh, looking solid. I mean, not like in the in race one where he actually led for part of a lap, anyways. Um, but looking solid and, and making a good comeback there. Uh, let's see, Nieto in 8th, Walker ninth, Robbie Rolfel 10th. Again, a, a disappointing 11th for uh, uh, Lorenzo Lanzi. Uh, Nakatomi in 12th, Ferrey 13th, Fabrizio 14th. Um, Chaus makes it back for um, for the second race and finishes 15th. Again, disappointing, but not exactly sure how good a shape that kid's in, at least at this point with pre pre uh, preseason crashes and healing and you know trying to heal after a couple nasty tumbles abe way back down in 16th um inutsu 17th nanelli 18th alfonsi 19th brignolia 20 borciani 21 mari 22nd battiini 23rd clementi 24th jim bear 25 uh laconi uh 26 steve martin 27th kagayama 28th uh, Neukirker in 29th and Jones in 30th, who was a DNS. So after uh, after all of that, you know the the points. Let's see where we go back to the uh, back to the points. I actually like MotoGP set up a little bit better. It's a little easier to get through than uh, than World Superbikes. But championship at this point, Bayless with a um, not commanding but a comfortable lead. Um, 36 points is what he has out. So uh, Bayless on 175, Courser 139, Toseland, uh stays in third spot with uh, 97, Barros coming hard in uh, fourth place on 95, Haga's on 93 for fifth place, Andrew Pitts 79, uh, Lanzi is uh, 59 points in seventh, Robbie Rolfel uh, 46 points in eighth, Abe on 40 points in ninth, and top 10 rounding out is Fonzie Nieto on 37. So, and then you can scan through for the rest for your uh, for your favorite rider going all the way into 26 spot. 
uh, with Yvonne Clemente and uh, with one single point from this past weekend's race. Um, observations from the weekend. One, on a fast track, you can tell that the foggy bikes have no power. <laughs> they they qualified for shit. And, um, yeah, they're going to be finishing out the season and... and um, Foggy's going to be trying to hook up with Ducati. He's already, Foggy, if you listen to his comments, Foggy's already making nicey-nicey with Ducati, um, setting himself up to have a satellite team for next year. Um, you know, he was asked, Troy Corse or Troy Bayless? He said, Bayless, no doubt. Um, I mean, he and even though he had Corser, uh as a rider, he and Corser were never, never got along real well, and then when they parted, they didn't exactly part on great terms either uh, from, from the team. And Foggy, you know, basically made his career for with with the Ducati. Uh, you know, he rode Hondas before that and and did well, but really blew his fame blew up once he once he was on a Ducati. Um, you know, and they used him even after he retired for a lot of advertisements. So I'm sure that that's going to be try and come full circle, and, and he's going to try and work his way to have a satellite team for next year. Which would be interesting. At least he at least he have a. a, a uh, he can have bikes to be competitive, and we can find out, you know, how good his riders are. Well, Steve Martin, we know. At least I know Steve Martin has been a good rider. And I say he's a great rider, but he's a very good, solid rider for a very long time, for ten years plus. Um, this guy was competitive, very competitive, way back even in um, the Australian Superbike um, days, and he made his way into World Superbike, and, and he's always on. You know, that B equipment that just wasn't there. And he'd, once in a while, he'd show flashes when everything worked right. Um, when he was on that Stelgarda team, uh, it would come right. The, the last year on the Stelgarda team, once everyone was on the same tires, he said, oh, well, Steve Martin, where, where'd he come from? Well, he was always there. It was just the, he didn't have, you know, the top line tires. He actually was doing a lot of Pirelli development before Pirelli was the uh, single tire. And Pirelli's tires weren't as good as Michelin or or Dunlop, so... Um, it, it would be good to see Steve before he retires um, get back not only on uh, to be back on a competitive bike to um, you know to have one last good shot at it. So, and this Craig Jones kid from from the UK, it, all right, UK listeners, you tell me how good this kid is because because I don't know, I haven't seen him. You know, on the foggy bike, he's not going to be doing anything. You know, he's going to be he's basically going to be a back marker. So he may be good. Um, you know, is he the next? next coming uh, probably not given where uh, Steve Martin is versus where he is but we'll see so um interesting on the Yamahas this weekend as well the um Abe's team or I'm sorry not Abe's team uh Haga's team is is based out of Italy it's basically um the old uh, BYRD which is the the Belgarda Belgarde Yamaha um, Racing Development or something, BYRD. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Um, based right, uh, you know, 15, 15, uh, 15 20K from, uh, from the Monza track. So you know that they were going to have everything they possibly could to be competitive. And, and they're still not quite there. They're down, they're down a little bit on the mile an hour. Um, but so, so close. And they really had their traction control system dialed in as much as it is about the riders this year it's also a lot about 
how good your traction control is. And, and, and here's where you'll see it. And I'm going to get my races mixed up here, but I'm pretty sure it was race one. Abe made two passes that were just, I'm not going to say mind-blowing, but it was one of those things of like, the mad bastard has returned type of, you know, like, holy crap. Um, you know, the, the kind of things that you could see, like, you know, Anthony Gobert in his heyday pulling off and like no one else, cause he's taking lines. He doesn't, he, that aren't supposed to be there. Um, Val Rossi being the same way. Um, but he made a pass on the outside going into, um, um, the parabolica. And not only did he make it stick, like he accelerated out. And then the only reason he was passed is because they got everyone got back in behind him on the draft. The other one was um, is when he, Courser, and Barros were fighting with each other. It was a three-way shot. Courser comes in to, to turn one. Was that Lesmo one? I think is is uh, I think that's what that is. Is Lesmo one? Uh, and he he I don't know. Courser checked up or just was slow. Mid corner, Barros comes bailing up his ass, about punts him in the back, and uh, and then Abe's like his eyes must have gotten huge, and he literally went around the outside of both of them in Lesmo one. I mean, that's just not a line that that's normally there, or that you would normally take, I guess. And he made not only did it, he made it, you know, wick wick the throttle and was and you know took advantage of it was in second place, so. And then there were a couple other moves in race two, the similar way. But after Valencia, I, I you know, and I honestly don't remember if I said this on the podcast or whether it was a conversation with somebody. Abe, um, Abe is one of those riders that I don't, I don't know what it is, but like certain races, or once or twice a year, he'll just look brilliant. I mean. He will look like he is the next coming. Like, where did this guy, you know, where did, where was this guy my entire life? And then everyone else, he just kind of like, you know, he's out there somewhere. And I thought, I was wondering if Valencia was going to be one of those races where he looks so, so good. You know, and his bike does not have, uh, there, the, the Yamaha France bike does not have traction control, unlike the Yamaha Italy bikes. So that's a, you know, that could be something in there as well. But, um, Abe was, you know, ninth and what, 15th or ninth and I'm sorry, I, I, I've got the points up, not the results. So, but anyway, he was like, he was like a not to be seen, you know, he was just way back there. So I'm wondering, okay, are we back to Abe being, you know, typical Abe and it is, it's going to be what's going to be. So who knows, but, um, overall, not bad, not a bad weekend of racing for the, for the world Superbikes, and, you know, it's it's a good it, it continues to be a a very good series, and um, we're gonna we're gonna see the next uh, the next race is at Silverstone, and uh, let's see the date for Silverstone as I pull it up. Do we have a date for Silverstone? Oh crap! I I should have it here, but there we go. Best lap. Okay, that's the uh, that's the results and uh, and the and the details of Silverstone, but it doesn't give me the. Uh, the dates for Silverstone, which again I'm not always happy with the way the MotoGP site works or the uh, World Superbike site works. But what are you going to do, right? Uh, results. Sorry, I, I'm sure you're all thrilled to listen to us. I'm trying to click through the website and uh, and get all this stuff in. But yeah, I apologize again. All right, we're oops, wrong screen. 
I'll give it to myself. Yes, it's an old bit, and uh, but I am not struggling. No, I pretty much know where I was going with it, but um, I think I think uh, Silverstone's like in two weeks, but we'll um, I'll see if I can pull that up before the end of the show. Well, whatever it is, I'll put it in the show notes. How's that? Um, and speaking of uh, notes, I wrote down. Where did they go? Seriously, where did they go? Oh, they're, they fell on the floor. That's why I couldn't find them. So, um, okay, sorry, I just uh, recapping some of my some of my stuff. Oh, the one thing we didn't hit on last time, after we talked about the great uh, MotoGP race, was the points, and why are the points so important? Well, by this time, you know. Uh, Nikki Hayden is leading the world championship by one point over Loris Caparossi, 52-51. Marco Melandri in third with 45. Casey Stoner, <laughs> tremendous in uh, fourth spot on 41. And uh, the doctor, 12 points back in uh, fifth place on 40. Danny Pedrosa, 32 points. Uh, Tony Elias, 32. Shinny Nakano, uh, 22. Uh, Colin Edwards, 19. And uh, G. Bernal, in 10th on 18 points, Kenny Roberts Jr. Uh, 11th, 17 points. So um, I don't know what that says. That G. Bernal is on a frontline bike and is only one point ahead Kenny, ahead of Kenny Roberts. And if Kenny Roberts would have had a, any kind of reasonable race at uh, Istanbul, he'd be ahead of G. Bernal. So there we go. Uh, but anyway, I'm sorry, uh, brain fade there for a second. For us in the United States that are motorcycle fans, which is, you know, about 65% of the listening audience of the uh, of the podcast at this point, you know, it's obviously it's huge for us to have Nikki on top of the points because since Kevin, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say since Kevin Schwantz, but basically since Kenny Jr. in 2000, um, there, and, you know, and before that it was, um, you know, 93 for Kevin Schwantz, we haven't had an American up there on top of the box or on top of the uh, championship standings. So it's, it's great to see. Um, and one of the questions I had, I actually talked to, uh, I've talked to Liam Schubert a couple of times over the last few weeks um, on the Skype and, and we're probably going to get him in on a Skype conversation here in the, in the very near future. Um, I asked him, I said, well, what's the, what's the reaction in Europe to, to Nikki? I mean, is it sort of like, okay, whatever. Um, and surprisingly, Nikki is is goes over pretty well in Europe. Um, Liam is in uh, in Barcelona and in Spain for I'm sure for obvious reasons because Repsol's a Spanish company and he's on the Repsol bike. They use him in in quite a bit of advertising over there, and and he seems to be a well liked guy. So that's cool. You know, that's actually very cool. It's not like oh the goddamn American. So um, so it's cool. Um, I'm happy to see that. I'm very happy for Nikki. Um, Coming up this week, uh, this weekend, we have the uh, Chinese Grand Prix from Shanghai. Interesting track. Last year was, um, you know, kind of a throwaway just because it was it was one way up until the race and when it rained and then, you know, everything got thrown out the thrown out the window with with the rain. So who knows how it's going to be this year, this year. Um, you know, rumor has it that uh, Yamaha's bringing back the 05 chassis. For Rossi, um, there's other talks that the the biggest change of why um, why the Yamahas are having problems 
is because of this different tire that that yeah uh, that Michelin's come out with. Um, they came out with different profile tires, both front and rear. And the rear tire works really well. It just doesn't work real well with the old front tire, with which everyone else prefers. the The problems, and that's pretty much where where the problems came. Is they came out with this new rear tire. It should be better, um, and it is better in some ways. Unfortunately, it upsets the handling of the bike because the profile is different than how it matches up to the front tire. I mean, I'm going on memory here because this conversation is from about three weeks ago, um, and. Both Rossi and Edwards are very, 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 very particular about the front tire and the feel that they get from the front tire. And they don't like this new tire, which is a bit wider, um, and how it matches. It matches up with the rear tire, but they don't like the feel. Now, they don't get the the chatter or the push, but they can't get the same confidence. So uh, they're monkeying around with that, and we'll see what happens. Um, for whatever reason, Michelin won't bring back an older tire, uh, that which sounds very Japanese in the sense that, well, it's newer, so it's better. No, it doesn't matter what the old one, old stuff is. You know, it's it's older, so it's inferior, which isn't always the case. Um, <laughs> sorry, we'll come back to that in a second because that reminded me of something else that they were talking about on the World Superbike broadcast about uh, Haga. Um, so we'll see what's going to happen with those guys and whether they get the tire situation sorted out or whether they play with chassis and. And, and and get that deal done. Um, you know, we're what four races into the into the championship, and Rossi's only down twelve points, which is in a sense nothing. He can make that up in what two three races, and and really, the last two races he's made mistakes in the race, which have cost him all kinds of positions. Had he not made these mistakes and put himself in a bad position where he's back in you know fourteenth to nineteenth position and having to make up all this extra time, he would have been on the podium, and we'd be talking about, you know, maybe Nicky's maybe Nikki's on top, maybe Caparossi's on top, but Rossi's within five points of being in the lead, if not in the lead. So hard to say how that all shakes out differently, um, especially the um, with the issue of um, what happened at the at the very first race, so where he only only scored two points, so. China should be interesting. We're going to see how that all floats out. Not really much else to say other than that. Nick should go. I mean, it's it's going to be your usual people up front. I think your, your usual six people. It's going to be it's going to be Hayden, Caparossi, Melandri. I think I think so. Memory serves. He did reasonably well at this race in the wet. Um, Casey Stoner. There's no reason to think that that the kid's not going to be uh, continue continue as Ron Rossi, uh, who did well in the dry. And I think this is going to be a good track for Pedroza as well. So we'll see uh, see how that shakes out. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Suzukis can build upon what they did at um, at Istanbul in that the mo- the bikes themselves looked very, very strong. Uh, motor-wise, chassis-wise, it was there. Um, literally, they were lit- let down by the tires. Actually, all Bridgestone runners were pretty much let down by the tires. Um I mean, you saw it with the with the Suzukis. Um, you saw it with you saw it with the Ducatis, and and the you know the Kawasaki's really weren't anywhere to be seen. So, we're going to um, see how that shakes out. Um, clicking back to World Superbikes, commentators were talking about how 
Haga is another one of these guys who's very, very particular about how his bike feels and being comfortable on the bike. And once he has that feel that he's looking for, um, he's dangerous. And, and, you know, he's looked at it at times this year. So the story is, is that the forks he has on the bike are basically the forks from the 2000 or 2001 R7. They're like five, six-year-old forks. And that the rear shock is a shock from a bike from a couple years ago. And that these, this is what it's taking him to get the feel that he wants. And they joked about, well, basically he's trying to turn his R1 into an old R7. Which, okay, that's not a bad thing because you think about how well he did on the R7. But, um, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And it goes to one of those things of just because it's newer doesn't make it better. Or at least it doesn't make it better for everybody. So, um, hopefully we'll see Haga continue on um, with his with his run and he'll continue to be competitive. I'm going to take a pause for the cause here and um, give a shout out to all the other motorcycle or a lot of the other motorcycle podcasts here. So uh, kick back for two seconds while I uh, take a drink here and uh, check out some of the other guys that are out there that you should you should be uh, that you should be listening to. Maybe if I can get the damn thing to work. 240 horsepower, 200 miles per hour, two wheels with no roll cage. This is the world of motorcycle road racing, the pinnacle of motorsport. I'm Bob Hayes, host of MotoGP OD, the podcast about motorcycle road racing. Tune in each week as we discuss what's happening in MotoGP, World Superbike, and AMA racing. Race reports, tech talk, opinion, reader email, we have it all. Just go to www.motogpod.com and subscribe. Calling all Canadians. Do you ride a bike on the back of a bike or daydream about either one? Do you like to lumber along on a Sunday morning or scrape your pegs in the twisties? Do you like to dodge sand dunes or ford rivers? Well, if you answered yes to any of the above, then why not give a listen to the Twisted Wrist podcast? The Twisted Wrist is the first podcast dedicated to the Canadian rider from a Canadian perspective. So why not toss on your jacket and gloves, lace up your boots, strap on your lid, and plug into the Twisted Wrist? Your ticket to Northern Adventure is at twistedwrist.blogspot.com. The Twisted Wrist, podcasting with a mouthful of bugs. All right, um, I said we we're going to talk about traction control, and we are going to talk a little bit about that. So you're wondering if you're – you got to dig into this stuff a little bit to find out what's really going on. And some of the numbers that are being thrown around for what the costs of this are, either you're going to buy or you're not going to buy. And – and in, it all comes about how you cost things out. Having been in the business world and how things get costed out are, are, are pretty interesting. Basically, it's not just the parts, it's the labor, you know, the labor that goes into it. So if you've got, um, so we're talking traction control, so you're going to be needing, you know, it's not just the hardware, it's more about the soft, it's as much about the software as it is anything. So let's say you've got three guys working on this thing and, um, you know, they each have, 500 hours into it so you've got 1500 hours at whatever their rate is um let's say that their cost is a hundred dollars an hour by the time you pay them benefits and all that other crap so now you're talking what is that one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right three guys 100 500 so that's 1500 1500 hours at a hundred dollars an hour it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then i'm sure you can throw some other things in there as well but I'm just throwing, I'm literally throwing these numbers, pulling, you know, pulling these numbers out of the air. But the numbers being bandied around 
for a lot of this traction control stuff, at least at the World Superbike super bike level in the U.S., World Superbike level, um, is somewhere between $250,000 and $350,000 for traction control. Now, I'm wondering about some of these numbers, if they're inflated to make them sound, you know, like scarier, like, you know, you've got to have this $350,000 system um, to be competitive. It's sort of like when you talk about the cost of building a super bike and you always hear how the Honda super bikes are $700,000 bikes, um, the Formula Extreme bike that supposedly Honda built for for Daytonas were, you know, two $250,000 bikes, if not more. So sometimes you wonder how they're costing these things out to come up with these numbers and they make it sound more than what it is just to sound that impressive and to scare others away or make them sound like, well, this is what it costs to build a bike. You know, aren't we special or you know, however that all works. So it's interesting and, and I'd like to see it because, you know, the, the parts themselves are probably less than 10 grand. I can't imagine them costing more than about five grand, to be honest with you. Um, it's, you know, you need your, you need wheel sensors for speed you need crank set you need uh sensors for crank speed uh sensors for for gear for shift gear on you know, what what gear you're in um and then uh and then a computer to read all this compute rpms uh, and stuff like this then and then how how to cut out a cylinder uh to reduce the power or pullback timing and such and then you want to do it in different amounts and different gears um, you're going to want to allow for some wheel spin, just not a ton. You're not, you're going to want to figure a way how to make it not abrupt. Um, so that, uh, you're, you know, you're screwed on the power, you get wheel spin, the traction control dials it back and then you high side. So you don't really see, that's one of those things you haven't seen a lot in, um, in MotoGP in the last couple of years. And you really haven't seen too much in super bikes is, uh, no one getting into the nasty high side. I mean, you see them drifting them out, spinning it up, drifting the back tire, spinning it up coming out of corners. You saw a lot of that at Mons, especially late in the race. Um, Barros especially, because he doesn't have the traction control. He saw him spinning the back tire up pretty good a couple times uh, the last couple laps. But, um, you know, it's you're going to want um, your your major traction controls are going to be in first, second, and third gear, obviously, and then decreasing uh, decreasing as, as you go up. Would you need it in fourth gear? It's hard to say. It's going to depend on the track. So a lot of that is is figuring in track to track on what you're dialing in for your um, for your software as well. It now the question is is there's a lot of people with traction control these guys should be riding and you know do it with the wrist. Well, yes and no. You you want to you want to see faster racing and in a sense better racing and safer racing then traction control is what you need. Um, no 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 two ways about it. It's made for better racing in that the guys that have it aren't destroying their tires late in the race and you it, it 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 comes down to actual racing skill not a tire you know someone might be faster but their style may be a little harder on the tires and they may chunk it abuse it whatever maybe their style just spins it up or their bike wasn't set up the way it needed to so they had to really spin the tire hard and it destroyed the tire the traction control is allowing the tire to be saved so late in the race when you have two, three, four guys going at it, um, they're able to go at it, and it's not like, well, you know, my tire shot, and and that's it. So, it's it, it, and and you don't see any, you don't really see any nasty, you don't see as many nasty high sides, which I think it's always good. Trust me, I've never gone over the high side racing. Thankfully, everything I've done has been low side. Um, 
I don't want to have to go over the high side. <laughs> just, let's put it that way. It's few few good things ever come out. You 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 rarely end up on the good side of things when you go over the high side. So and going going that low siding has been bad enough. I've uh, chunked out flesh out of my knee and busted toes when the foot peg came down on my foot and oh seems like it did one or two things. I well, it was a street accident, but busted my collarbone low siding on the street. Knocked my head pretty good when a car pulled out in front of me and my helmet smashed into their tire. So, yeah, it was fun. Anyway, that was on my birthday, too, which made it even better. Um, getting off on a tangent there. At the end of the day, I think traction control is a good thing. It'll make for better racing. Um, it will eventually filter down into street bikes and will make... Filtering it down to the street bikes is going to be great and it's going to be bad. It's going to be, here's where I think it's going to be better. Your 19 to 23 year old squid who goes out and buys his first motorcycle and goes and buys a thousand cc bike or whatever, some kind of open class bike because all his buddies have it and he's got to have the baddest thing in the road even though he's never ridden a bike and, well, if I buy a 600, I'm just going to, you know, get bored with it soon. Well, okay. If you're doing stunts and drag racing, maybe, but if you're actually riding a sport bike for what it's supposed to be ridden like, yeah, no. You can't ride a 600 to its extent, let alone a thousand. But so what it's going to basically a traction control system would allow these kids, these morons, and literally morons, not to go out and kill themselves two weeks after they buy the bike. And I say kill themselves, but severely hurt themselves and continue to give motorcycling the bad name that it has, at least here in the United States. Worldwide, motorcycles are an accepted form of transportation. In the United States, even with everything that's happened to be very trendy, it's cruiser bike stuff, sport bike stuff are still called donor cycles. And it's, you know, that's like a three and a half hour podcast for that one to, to talk about that. But so in some ways, I think it could be very beneficial. Um, the where it's not beneficial is that all, then it's going to give people too much confidence. They're going to buy a bigger bike than that they need um, uh, and then can even use. And, and that'll cause its own problems. So um, last thing on the traction control, here's an interesting thing that... Uh, I've been told, and this is about the Suzuki stuff, and this is um, this is a system that's both being used on the All-Star bikes in the World Series and on the Yoshimura bikes here in the U.S. Now, this is the story that I'm getting, and what I'm going to guess is that if I talk to at least the U.S. team and the All-Star team, um, who knows what they'll say, but the, I'm sure the U.S. team will deny this. I mean, they've denied the use of traction control up to this point anyways, um, is that they have, that the system is almost what's called an intelligent um, intelligent system in, in that it learns, in that, and I'm not quite exactly clear exact how this all works, um, but there's a way of resetting it during the race in that you can... You go for, and I'm not sure if it's a button you click or if it just automatically adapts to this, but you go hard for two laps, and it takes that data for that two laps, compute, you know, in a sense, computes it, and then um, and can dial in new um, new parameters for it. So, let's say that you are out in front, and your traction control is doing A. You've got someone coming hard at you. There's a way to reset it. I gotta believe you gotta be somehow be able to do it on the bike. Go hard for two laps, and um, 
it'll reset everything so that the last few laps, um, maybe it has a higher parameter. I, I don't know, but supposedly this is what's going on in the series. Um, you know, the Ducatis have flat out said they have traction control. And um, there's been a lot of debate about uh, what's going on with the American Ducatis. And I've got a couple different theories on this. Now, number one, last night on Wind Tunnel, Dave Despain made the comment, and maybe he's right, but I don't. I think he's wrong here. And and I'll and if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to admit that I'm wrong. Um, I'll have to pull out all the technical details to to find it, or if someone wants to email me, um, RumbleStripRadio at gmail dot com. Um, please let me know. But as far as I know, the difference, the only real there's two differences between the World Superbike team, you know, what the Xerox Ducati is running and what the Parts Unlimited Ducati team is doing here in the U.S., and that is the throttle bodies are different and the fuel is different, and that's it. To the best of my knowledge, those are the only two differences in the bikes. Now, the throttle bodies they run in World Superbike are a better system um, because they're larger, and I think they use like two or three different injector system, you know, injectors and a shower system, and uh, where the U.S. Superbike, you pretty much have to run what came on the bike, which is a little bit different. Now, that difference is probably worth a couple couple percentage power to the Advantage World Superbike. Now, in the U.S., which as far as I know is the only country that still does this, we run leaded fuel in, you know, in the in the race bikes. We haven't made the switch to unleaded fuel for whatever reason. Um, but running leaded fuel is supposed to be worth 3 to 5% power over running unleaded fuel. Uh, octane numbers not aside, it's just the way that it develops power uh, and all the additives and, and that kind of thing. So so basically it should be a neutral, you know, one, it's a minus positive, so it all balances out at the end of the day. You know, take away five, add five, you, you get the you get the point. So in theory that the, the these two bikes should be about the same. Now one's running the Pirelli tires, one's running Dunlops, but you know, Dunlops are the premier tire in the United States series. It's literally about the only tire in the US series, unfortunately, but here's another argument for a different different show. So then you come are they running the same traction control? You gotta believe it's gotta be pretty close. Um, there's all kinds of Italian engineers that are over here in the U.S. all the same time, so you know it's got to be going back there and you know there and back. Riders, well, Troy Bayless is is you know one of the premier riders in the world, um, but Neil Hodgson should be a pretty good rider. Uh, he should at least be on the same level as a Matt Maladin. There's no doubt about that. So then it comes down to the team, you know, is uh, what what's going on with that team? What used to be Austin Ducati. You know, Austin Harley-Davidson, Austin Ducati, and now the people sold the motorcycle business, so it's just parts unlimited Ducati. That team has never, I'm not going to say they haven't been impressive, because when they had the Harley, it was they, they, they were doing at least as good as the factory team. So in some ways that was that, but just just not getting it done, and, and they haven't been getting it done. Um you know, Eric Bostrom won a couple races, but their races, you know, Pikes Peak doesn't count because he always wins. It doesn't matter what bike he's on. Um, he showed good in other races, but it wasn't a consistent thing. So you got to wonder, is it the team? You know, is it the team? Uh, could it be the way that they prepare and set up the bikes, the testing, the way that they do testing? It's just not there because there's no reason that the Ducati and the World Superbike Series can be as good as it is 
against the Suzuki, and essentially it's going to be the, the Suzuki in, this, in the World Series, the Suzuki in the U.S. Series. Two different bikes, but performance-wise, very, very, very similar. Just, um, but the, the Ducatis in the U.S. Series aren't even competitive. I mean, and when I say not even competitive, I'm talking seven seconds off the pace at the at the end of the race. That's not competitive. Competitive means okay, maybe you're you're not winning, but at least you're within a second, second and a half. Uh, you're on the box at least, and they are not there. Now, I I realize that Terry Vance is too busy making money, um, selling Harley Davidson parts, uh, and and running the Harley Davidson drag team in the NHRA series, to probably be bothered to run the AMA series again. But if Ducati was smart, they would shift. If they're not going to take it full in house and run it themselves. Um, that they want to have a quote-unquote team uh, run it for them here in the United States, then I think it's time to call Terry Vance, bring his crew in, because they're really the only people, other than Geraldo Ferracci, um, who've ever been competitive, You know, who've been able to put a machine on the box, on top of the box, consistently. Um, since then, no one's done it. You know, I liked, I knew, used to know Mitch Hansen a little bit. I liked him. He had a great crew. He had a lot of very good people working for him, but it just, you know, nothing clicked. Whatever it was just didn't click with that that team. And I think the same thing has happened here with the Austin team. Just It's just not there. Araldo Ferracci, he's not going to be bothered to do this. He's got, he's made his money and they've got their little business going. And, and I don't, it'd be such a huge step up for them, I, I believe, um, to try and run a what it would take to run a national, you know, run the national series in this day and age. I don't think that's uh, that's possible. But you people in Pennsylvania who know uh, Araldo better than I, you can tell me I'm wrong too. Again, rubblestripradio at gmail dot com. Um, but um, anyways, um, let's kick out a couple a uh, couple more promos here for some of the guys out there, and then we're gonna wrap the show up. Listen up, everyone. If you ride a sport bike and you're not listening to the Knee Dragon Podcast, you're not getting the whole story. The Knee Dragon Podcast is motorcycle talk that doesn't suck. We cover all things sport bike related, from superbike and MotoGP racing to the newest street sport bikes, from riding technique to the latest technology. If it affects our sport, it's in the show. So check it out. www.kneedragon.net Hey, all you motorcycle nuts out there in podcast land. Are you looking for more Moto Chat to fill up your time between rides? My name is Prubert, and I am inviting you to check out MotoCast. Me and my co-hosts, Nate and Brandon, talk to you about anything from moto product reviews to great roads. And we may even toss in some special guests from time to time. So check us out at motocast.libsyn.com. That's motocast.libsyn.com. We're three riders that really like to talk. Check out the next episode of Road Racer Podcast, the podcast about amateur motorcycle road racing, AMA news, and interviews with motorcycle road racers. I'm your host, John Bunt, an amateur motorcycle racer. For more information, check out roadracerpodcast.com. Now, so all the um, all the promos ran from those guys from uh, the Road Racer Podcast, from Motocast, MotoGPOD, Twisted Wrist, Knee Dragon. Check out those guys. All of them have some great shows. They have different takes on stuff. Um, I'm gonna bust a couple guys' chops because I seem to be hearing a lot of what I say. 
a couple of things that I've said uh, float into their into their stuff, which is cool. I actually think it's pretty funny um, that I can, in a sense, influence people. Of course, I'm blowing my own horn on that one. So, anyways, um, you know, I'm gonna start. Uh, where did it go? I'm gonna start sounding like Denny Crane in a second here, right? Um, and if I sound like I'm struggling, it's just because I'm uh, <laughs> a little tired. Um, and you know, it's two thirty on a two thirty in the afternoon on a on a actually beautiful Monday afternoon here in uh, Little Baghdad, just outside the hell that is Metro Detroit. So, um, what do we got coming in the future? Hopefully, to, today or tomorrow, I'm going to get uh, Colin Frazier on the horn and uh, record an interview with him, and we'll get that up later in the week to talk about the Canadian series. A um, couple weeks in the future, um, hopefully we're going to get Kenny Noyes on the horn and talk to him. Uh, he's uh, not, he's uh, recovering from some injuries in uh, Bulgaria, I believe, is where I was told he was hiding out, just relaxing. And uh, a few other people, trying to get some AMA people on the, uh, on the horn to talk to them. And um, a lot of good stuff going on out there. Just takes a little time to get it all sorted out, and um, we'll see how it goes. But uh, if I can get Colin Frazier on the horn, we'll we'll definitely be talking Canadian Superbikes later in uh, in the week. They've they they kick off their season this weekend, I believe. Um, let me pull that out. I believe they kick off at Shannonville this weekend. And if I can get the screen to pull up here quickly, I will uh, I'll give you that details. CDN. It's at cdnsuperbike.com. You can find the. Uh, Canadian series, and no, next weekend, not this weekend, it's next weekend, the 18th, 18th through the 21st, so it's the same weekend as uh, the AMA is out at Infineon, or Sears Point as the rest of the world calls it, still, um, they'll be it, so we should be able to get a hold of Colin uh, this week and talk to him, but Canadian series looks uh, looks to be pretty good again this year, so We'll talk to him about um, about you know as we said before about how the Canadian series takes a little bit different take on it the uh, horsepower restrictions uh, of the different classes and now running a single make tire uh, which is new for this year and um, you know get his take on how uh, Chris Paris is doing out in the World Supersport uh, world um, having some issues they finished uh, what was it 19th or 21st 16th something uh, this past weekend so not the greatest. And I'm actually out to Chris Paris as well, trying to get him on the horn as well. Um, dropped him an email and and um, left a voicemail with them, but haven't heard back. So we'll we'll uh, we'll try and get in touch with them. But so a lot of stuff on the on the horizon there. Look to uh, to continue to work the show. And look, we went 55 minutes. I intended to go 35. So, anyways, uh, you can get a hold of us. Contact information as always. Uh, radio at gmail.com. The website, www.rumblestripradio.com. You can find us on uh, iTunes and Yahoo Podcasts and Podcast Pickle. If you feel really generous, go and vote for us over at Podcast Alley. Uh, Give us some love over there. Uh, various other places you can find us. Hey, tell a friend that you uh, what you're listening, that you like it. Had a lot of great feedback. And um, where's that email? I'm sorry. I'll, uh, Christopher Meadower. I'm uh, going to be giving you a call back. Oh, and we had a winner. We had a winner for the contest, too. So uh, I'll cover all that later in the week. Until then, I am your host, The Duke. Send us feedback. Send us your love. Send us your hate mail. Rumblestripradio at gmail.com. Until later. 
hopefully this week, keep it on two wheels.